0: There are so many things to, get to enjoy when you hear a good song. You know, the harmony, the people you love that are singing the song. But the message is so powerful, and it's what we're called to today. We're asked the question this morning, are our hearts truly hunger, hungry to praise and worship God like He deserves? Amazing. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20. It'll be in John 20. That's our text, and we always have a place for you to turn here at gospel light. I like that. And I realize you might be turning on your cell phones or turning on your tablets or turning the pages in your Bible. It's fine. Whatever you choose is great, but we always like to have a text because a sermon is, is not a sermon without scripture. And though we'll have some ancillary text on the screen, those are important, but the text is where we're drawing our truth from today. So John chapter 20. Now, I've got a couple of ways to introduce our sermon series. I want to begin with this. This week, uh, God kind of laid something on the hearts of our staff, and God confirmed it Friday night in in, in Magnolia, Arkansas. Let me tell you this little story. I'm in Magnolia, driving the bus for the high school basketball team, and they're playing Columbia Christian School in Magnolia, Arkansas. Well, you know... When you drive, you've got the awesome responsibility of getting your precious uh, treasure from one uh, point to the other. And uh, so I take it very seriously. And, uh, of course, I have a CDL license, and and, and I enjoy driving for the kids, and, 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 and that is a very important job. But one of the benefits of driving is you get to stop and eat. I love food. I'm hungry right now. In fact, just saying that right there, kind of my stomach, right? Anyway, and uh, I just lost some of you for the rest of the service. But, you know, the, the, so we stopped at Flying Burger, really the only edible place in the entire city of Magnolia. It's pretty raunchy. If you're from there, sorry. It's just my feelings. But anyway, we're at the, we're at the Flying Burger, and I've got my family gathered. i got, I got... Carol Ann and Zoe and Chloe and Glow, and we're all gathered. We're next, man, and we're hungry. We're ready to order, you know, got to get the family on one ticket because nobody, none of them are paying for sure. Anyway, and so we're going to get them on one ticket. And so there's a little boy in front of me from our, from our school. He's only been there two weeks. He's a sweet, precious little boy. He's very shy, very quiet, and he's, he's got also an unusual name. His name is Hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N. And it's just an unusual name. You know, you, you probably never met a hidden, but we have a precious hidden in our school. So hidden's there, and he's looking up at that big menu. And I mean, he's not, he's not, I mean, if this is the, the, the floor. He's not that tall, you know, and he's looking up that. So he orders something. And she looks back at him after he orders, and she says, uh, son, that'll be $9.36. So hidden doesn't hesitate. He just, he lifts up his money. She counts and she, she says it's eight dollars. She says, uh, "Son, you're going to need to give me a dollar and thirty six cents." And no joke, here's what he did. He just he goes, <laughs> kind of like, "What are we going to do about this?" <laughs> I mean, it was just it was slow too. It was like you know, just like a crane, you know. I mean, it's like so. I looked at him and I thought, well, you know. If that's ever the Holy Spirit, you know, that is, And I just knew God was telling me to do something. And I knew it wasn't the $1. thirty-six. I mean, it was just like, you know, I, I've never heard God speak audibly. But, you know, thankfully, you, you, if you walk close enough to him, you can definitely hear him speak to your heart, right? So I heard him say, it's not the $1. thirty-six I want you to take care of. It's the $9.36. So I said, I said, hey, just go ahead and put him on my ticket. He's with my family tonight. I said, Hidden, put your $8 in your pocket and you're going to be with us tonight. He was, he he, he was so almost, I don't know if it's a combination of probably a little embarrassed and a little shy. He didn't even articulate a hearty thank you. I think he just smiled and kind of sheepishly walked away. It didn't matter. What mattered was that I had an opportunity to do something little to love somebody. So we want to give you something. I'll just pass this out. You know, I'm wondering how many wanderers, we're talking about come back home. How many wanderers just need to see what love can do? And I'm going to give you 28 days and 28 ways to love somebody in Hot Springs. And who knows if that one you are loving is going to be what brings them to church. What brings them back to church. What brings them back home. Now let me give you an illustration as you're receiving these. And by the way, I'll tell you how to handle this in just a minute. It's it's not, there's no pressure at all. You're not signing a contract to do this. You're just kind of listening. Look at number one there. February 1st says, leave an encouraging note in a random place. Like under the pastor's door. (laughs) Hey, that's a good one. Hey, look here. Number number, number nine, February 9th. Write a friend a list of things you appreciate about them. Here's here's how we're going to do it on February 10th. We're going to send a dessert to a random table in a restaurant. Now, you say, well, I'm not going to go out and eat on February 10th. Well, just get in your car, drive to a restaurant, walk up to the counter, pick a table out, pay for it, and go home. That'd be cool. And then look here, February 14th. Take flowers to a nursing home. Man, that'd be good. I get to do a nursing home service every week with Sonia, and I can think of a lot of folks that would be blown away by that. Invite some friends February 17th. This one's not possible, but we put it on there anyway. Invite some friends to a cell phone-free meal. How's that? What what kind of pastor would put that impossible thing on this sheet? You know what? Wouldn't it be cool if we could pull that one off and and just do it? And how, How much more conversation would we have without our cell phones for an hour? Look here, February 25th take cookies to your local fire department. That's my favorite one because on that day, if everybody does it, can you imagine the, the fire departments in our city saying, what's up with the cookies? <laughs> I mean, they just keep coming in. Now, you say, well, pastor, do I have to do all 28? Listen, I'm kind of one of these guys. I Listen, if I was on drugs, I would take an overdose every day. If I smoke cigarettes, I'd be four packs a day. I that's mean, just me. I can't do those. If I do something... I'm just all in. That's me. So I'm going to do all 28 if, if I can. Now, I may miss one or two, but I'm going to try. That's just me. Not everybody's like that. You might be looking at this thing and thinking, well, I can't do that 28, so that's done with that. No, no, no. Do one a week. Just pick a day a week. Or maybe go through the list and say, I don't like that one, but I like that one. Or I don't like that one. I mean, you, you have that, right? If you, if you want. No problem. But do some. Maybe somebody here would just be able to do one. But whatever you can do. 28 would be great. 27 would be great, 15 would be fantastic, seven would be good, one would be decent, but do something, do something. And the, so we're calling this 28 Days 28 Ways. I pray that you'll participate because you know what, I believe in February, God's gonna use this and you to bring wanderers home. Now that's our theme. Our theme is bring The wanderer's home. Come back home. We've been using this verse. It's it's in James chapter 5. And scripture clearly says, my brothers, you, me, us, brothers, sisters. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. If someone in here brings somebody back to the truth, back to church, back to Jesus. Erica, Pacey, preacher, pastor, let them know this. Make sure you tell them that if they do this, if they bring a sinner from wandering from the truth back home, they're saving that soul from death. Make sure they know how serious this is. Make sure they know how amazing this is. Because here's how I feel about it. God says, here's how I feel about it. Luke 15. God says, I feel this way. Joy shall be in heaven. Now, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, that's good it's in heaven because it ain't going to be here because I'm a fuddy dud and I don't get excited and raise my hands and get fired up about nothing but the Razorbacks. I don't get fired up about nothing but, and this might be for some of you, but the jackpot at the casino. I mean, seriously. I know we're in church, but there's probably five or six of you enjoy that. I just want you to know, if you get excited about that, there's something else you ought to be excited about because you know what Jesus says about heaven? Bring it down to earth. You see, joy is not just for heaven. So, so, so last week, we sang this song, you know, From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the light's. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts? Tonight, it starts tonight. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. From now on, anybody heard that song before? That's in The Greatest Showman. Hey, who's seen The Greatest Showman? Raise your hand. All right, about half the church. Some of you haven't seen it. You just don't want to admit you went to movie this week. But I, I, I've, I've gone four times, okay? So... I want to show you something. I want to watch that song sung. We're going to do it one more time. We, I think our group did it as good as anybody could ever do it. But I want to show you something. This was a random video that, where Hugh Jackman, the greatest showman, P.T. Barnum in the movie, he, he was doing a practice session. It's practice. It's not the real thing. They're all in street clothes. They're just warming up. They're doing what by the way, if you're on the worship team, this is good for you. I wonder if the worship team just practices or if they really practice like they sing it on Sundays. It's a thought. So they're in practice. They're in this room. You'll see it. And Hugh Jackman is, is he just had cancer surgery. I'll let him tell you the story. And he got these 18 stitches or something in his nose, and he wasn't supposed to sing, but he was so overwhelmed with the message and Comprehending what this song means because for him as the actor it meant he was coming back home to his family, to his wife. He was wandering in the world going after things. I drank champagnes with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. He was involved in the world and now he's coming back home. But what I want you to see is as the song develops something happens in the room. And people singing a secular song begin to do this and this and you even hear this. Come on! Yeah! Come on! And they're singing a secular song in a secular movie. Little do they know that we've made it, we've brought it from a secular song to one of the most spiritual songs I think I've ever heard, amen? (laughs) For me, at least, for me. And God can do that. So I want you to watch it, and then I'm going to preach. Come back home, wanderer. Come back home. Watch this. And just see if this kind of joy about the wanderers coming home, see if this is anything how you feel, All Right? It's pretty cool. Maybe you've seen it.
1: To get uh, The Greatest Showman greenlit, we had to get everyone into New York City to hear a read-through, where we'd read through the script and sing it. We needed the Fox executives, we needed Hugh, we needed the producers, and it took eight months to get everyone in the room. <laughs> and, and once uh, we managed to get this date, uh, Hugh calls me the day before and says that I had just had a skin cancer cut out of my nose. Uh, All was fine. I knew you were worried about that. (laughs) Uh,
0: But I had 80 stitches in my nose, and uh, my doctor said, you're not allowed to sing.
1: I said to (laughs) Hugh, who have you told? Because you cannot tell anyone, because no one is flying to New York City (laughs) to hear you not sing a musical.
0: Which was a good advice. So the next day, everyone arrives and I get there and I explain to everyone why I wasn't singing. I also explained, this was Michael's suggestion, a good one, that
1: I should stand just to be clear to everyone that I will be singing on the day and gesticulate and, and of course, act all the scenes. And he did, and yeah. also, to, to, to Hugh's credit, he did that for every single number. He stood up there, he, he was the great showman until one number. <laughs> You made me feel
0: to get a shout out for winning the world series he loves the cubs i can pick on him because he loves me can't pick on somebody that doesn't love you i ain't gonna pick on him i know how he feels about me just kidding but you know did you see the high five and the enthusiasm the excitement sometimes i wonder when we baptize here does it deserve more than just a I I thought about this. Next time we baptize, we're going to fire up the worship team like you've never heard it fired up before. I mean, Vince is going to run a run on that electric guitar. I'm going to have him jam on the drums. And we're going to, I mean, we are going to celebrate a wanderer has come home. Because listen, church, if they do it in heaven, let's get fired up about what heaven's fired up about. Now, that video simply spoke to me. I've, I've watched it so many times again, you know, hey four packs of cigarettes a day. I'm telling you, be glad I don't smoke. It's bad. I watched that video once. I watched it 50 times. I cry in my office. I get so excited because I feel so passionate. Let me give you a statement. I asked for Ken to put on. I texted him this this week. I texted him this. I said, Ken, put this on the screen. This is how I feel. The passion, the joy, the gratitude, the overwhelming awe of our Savior should leave us with a song that we cannot help but sing at the top of our lungs. I just feel that way. I think this is what this sermon series is all about. It's coming to a place where we understand there's nothing that's closer, nearer to the heart of God than calling the wanderer home. And so today, let's call the doubting wanderer home. In John chapter 20, your text, Jesus talks with one of his disciples who, after his resurrection, had a hard time believing that it was really so? Did he really do it? This this disciple was broken. His heart was broken. He was so disappointed. He died. That was my Messiah. He's dead. He missed something. He 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 just he just wasn't there you'll see in a moment and and here he found himself doubting whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead look at John chapter 20 in your text verse 24 says "But Thomas one of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came that word Didymus is really a better word for that would be twin he was a he was a twin And, and oftentimes the other versions will put the word twin there but The verse 25 says, And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Well, maybe you have. But except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. Listen up, brothers. Listen up. I will not believe. I'm doubting. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then he said to Thomas, reach hither your hand, and rather your finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither your hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet have Believed. I come to you today on behalf of the doubters. We don't talk about this much, but we've all been guilty. Let me show you what I'm talking about. My hand goes up first. How many of you sitting in this room have ever been in a season of doubt about God? I have. I'm not saying maybe I didn't doubt His existence, and yet we'll cover that tonight because some are doubting the existence of God in our community, but I have doubted His goodness. There's been times where I've been broken and I've doubted how he could be good and allow this to happen. There have been frustrating times during my wife's illness where I, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to pastor where I got angry at, at, at God's judgment. I mean, I just didn't think he was doing the right. I mean, I've, I've doubted. I've been there. So our goal this morning is to talk about doubting something that's tough to talk about. Because when you're in the darkness, doubting comes easily. When you're in the darkness, it's easy to doubt. My wife, several months ago, had come home in the dark and she was all alone and she, she doesn't like that. But she did, she walked in and then she went to the bathroom. That's usually where my wife has to go first when she gets home. And when she walked in, she saw the weight scale, the scale, the little, you know, the weight. The light was on. And as soon as she saw the light on in that little scale, she runs out of the dark house and she calls me. And she's taking off in the car. She's driving. She says, honey, somebody's in the house. I said, why, honey? How do you know that? Well, I'm I'm freaking out. She said, because the light was on on the scale. I said, well, honey, I I can't. There's no way I can make it. You know, what are you going to do? She goes, well, you got to call somebody. So I called Mike and Micah Griffith. And so Mike comes down with his gun. He goes through the house, every door, every room, every closet, every bathroom. He comes out and he says, it's safe. You can go back inside. (laughs) My wife calls me up. She says, I don't believe him. (laughs) I don't believe him. Honey, if he didn't check, I'm telling you, honey, that light is never on. Somebody's in there. She would not go home until everybody got home. You say, well, bless her heart. Listen, darkness makes it tough on doubters. And when we've got darkness in our lives spiritually, we can begin to doubt. It's easy to slip into that. So let's let the light of God's word shine on the subject of doubt. Let's look, first of all, at different kinds of doubters. First of all, the intellectual doubter. Here is someone who is a scholar, usually... They are very, sometimes they have num- letters next to their names. They could even be a student, potentially, of the Word of God. Empiric, empirical, if you will. Doubters. They believe, believing, they say, would require information they don't have, so they can't believe, because they only believe based on information they have. I have questions. Until I answer. get those questions answered, I just don't believe. So let me give you some areas that attack intellectual doubters first of all very obviously it is evidence in the existence of god and i would say probably the majority of our audience today has potentially gotten past that but i do not doubt that there is someone here who is struggling with even the very existence of god and i want to say this to that basically there is only two ways really to do that number one either you believe that there was some unknown cause for the universe called god or secondly, you believe that all we see came from no cause at all. One or the other. Either God caused all of this or nothing caused all of this. And so let's let our dear friend Carl Kirby, a friend of our church who's been here a couple of times, let's, let him, let's take three minutes and let's give Carl just a voice in this. He's the expert, so let's see what he has
1: to say. thoughts awesome. Keep it simple, throw in the old one-two combo, get in and out real quick and let you find folks chat all about it, okay? Punch one I'm going to call the Info Uppercut. When's the last time you walked into a library and asked, hey, where are all the books that have been written by mindless products of natural laws? The librarian would probably laugh at you and tell you that no such books exist. And they don't exist because they can't exist. Why not? Because first of all, it's just common sense. The words that form the message in books always originate from a person with a brain. Or to say it a bit more scientifically, the message of the book, the purpose, comes to be understood by the orderly placement of the words design and information. Ah, information. Now, anytime we find info, these basic laws always apply. Number one, matter doesn't spontaneously produce information. Uh, Number two, only a mental source, intelligence, can generate new creative information. In other words, just like those books that couldn't originate without a mind, neither could life. Why not, you ask? Because we know that DNA contains information. Therefore, the laws of information science apply, which means the information in DNA couldn't have spontaneously generated and that a mind is behind the information. Period. No exceptions. Look at it this way. The simplest life form we know of is an amoeba and it contains as much information in its dna as a thousand complete sets of encyclopedia britannica so are we to believe that there's no way a message in a library book could spontaneously generate but far more complicated messages in dna that contain a thousand times more information could have not likely you see when it comes to life or anything else that contains information the laws of information science confirm the necessity of a creative mind and guess what in the very first book of the bible it just happens to mention that in the beginning god created bam Uppercut lands on the chin. And now here comes the indefensible head blow. We'll call this the not a big bang bing swing. The KO to the claim that there's no evidence of God. The law of causality left hook of doom. It goes like this. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. Now, either something caused the universe to come into existence or nothing caused it. Huh. I might not be the smartest guy behind the telescope, but honest, practical, everyday it's going to lead me to the former. You have to work pretty hard to conjure up a way that nothing did it. You see, it's pretty improbable, nigh impossible, to account for design, information, and cause if the universe just exploded from nothing. Smack! And while we're on the topic, where did the matter come from that exploded? Are we really to believe that there was nothing and then it exploded and now the exploded nothing is something and we just happen to be smart enough to discover and understand the very laws that prove the opposite? And if the general understanding of the law of cause and effect is true, how can matter come from a lesser cause? Is like nothing. I mean, come on. I don't have a bunch of letters after my name, but even a monkey knows better. And yeah. I snuck in a couple of extra jabs in there, so me. Now for some parting words from our sponsor, the Bible. It tells us in Romans 1.20 that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. It also says that people actually know the truth, but they reject it, which explains why even though there's overwhelming evidence that there is a God, evidence won't convince the unwilling. Sad but true. So there you have it. With just a couple of meaningful blows, the claim that there is no evidence for God is down for the count, me amigos. In other words, it's been debunked adios
0: adios now I say this in all kindness and compassion but it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that all this came from nothing i mean how would you feel this morning if i came up here and said you ever been to mount rushmore isn't mount rushmore amazing you know the, the 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 mountain with the four presidents i mean it's incredible you did hear about that right big explosion massive flood and all of a sudden dude look the four presidents i would if a thousand years from now everybody kind of forgot how it was carved out, and a thousand years from now, somebody just gets up and says, well, you know, the wind and the floods and Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) Right, that's my point, and I say that in compassion. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that I think sometimes the problem is not that we don't have information, it's we don't want information. Number two, the second kind of doubter is, is evidence for creation versus evolution. And by the way, evolution, remember, is not a fact. It's a theory. And if we call that, if we, if we hold that up to creation as well, I, I want to remind you that that may be true. But there is so much evidence that I choose, I choose to believe. And then there's, by the way, rational evidence to believe that a design came from a, a designer. It, it is, I think that's pretty rational. And then number three, there's evidence for miracles. Because scientific theory says what? Scientific theory says that anything not repeatedly observable is not true. Anything that is not, has, doesn't have a regularity to it is not true. It must be repeatedly observable for it to be true. That's scientific law. Okay, what about the Big Bang? I mean, how, how many times did it happen? Once. Did anybody see it? No. No. Well, that's different. You see, it's not different. It's not different. Miracles happen today. God is at work and God is working miracles. And we believe that by faith. And then evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is coming soon. There are so many evidence, not just internal evidences in Scripture. There's external evidences. There is so much to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then evidences for the reliability of the Bible. We are a Bible-believing church. We believe the Bible to be true without any errors at all. Yes, we believe that by faith, but there are so many reasons and rational reasoning and, and belief to have that position. So, the intellectual doubter says, believing would require information I don't have, but is this really about information you don't want? Which is it? And so I've provided some, some proofs in your notes and they'll not be on the screen but they're there there's a website to go to called christianarsenal.com there's some books one three that are i think maybe the all-time best and every believer should read them and recommend them to maybe non-believers or wanderers and that is anything written by lee strobel you have all that right there these are brilliant men these are men that can speak from much research they are great great theological philosophers who have who have taken the time to write these books they're gifted Don't miss the opportunity. If you are an intellectual doubter, you have to honestly answer this question. And it's on the screen. If you are, is it I don't have the answers or is it I don't want the answers? Answer that question honestly. I think you'll find it's that you don't want them because they are there. Second kind of doubter is a disillusional doubter. A disillusioned daughter. And, and the disillusioned daughter says, uh, believing would require conclusions that I don't see. I just, I just, I just don't see it. And I need, I need more conclusions to believe this. I'm disillusioned by the fact that God has messed so many things up. I mean, really, if there is a God, then why is there natural disasters? Why is there murder? Why is there rape? Why is there suffering? Why is there famine? Why is there disease? And we forget there's a problem called evil. We also forget that there's some things that God cannot do. There, I said it. There's some things that are just undoable by God. God cannot do the undoable. Listen, the truth of the matter is, is God cannot lie. Amen. God cannot make a married bachelor. Gentlemen, if you're, that's a good place to say amen right there, married men. If you're married, you're what? Married. You're not a bachelor. It's not a sermon series on marriage, but if you are married, quit acting like a bachelor. Amen, ladies? God cannot make a round square. It's just not doable. And God wanted to make a world in which people were free to choose. God wanted that. God desired that. God prefers that someone worship him because they choose to worship him. He's not into robotic worship of the masses. He wants you to make the choice to worship him because if he walked in this room right now and stood right in front of you and performed a miracle, you'd be worshiping him in about .01 seconds. He's not going to do that because he'd rather have you worship him sincerely. God can't make a world in which people are free to choose him and guarantee that everyone will choose him. And so therefore, all of the pain and all of the heartache and all of the suffering in the world is the result of people not choosing God. That's what's going to make the homegoing service so different tomorrow because somebody chose God And when Sonny Dunn chose God, he made everything different for all of us. For his family members, for his grandsons, for his granddaughters, for his children. There was a daddy that chose God. And because he chose God, changed his whole world. See, the world is broken because of sin. So does believing require conclusions that you don't see or conclusions that you won't see? Which one? Their kind of doubter is the disappointed doubter. This is one that might say this, that believing requires forgiveness that I don't desire. I just don't want to forgive. I've been done wrong, preacher. You don't understand. I have been mistreated. I have been done wrong and I'm not dealing well with it. And I don't want to forgive. Therefore, I choose bitterness and I choose anger. Many people today wandering away from God because of this. Because of unforgiveness. They want to see someone suffer like they've suffered. But we've got to remember what Jesus said in that famous sermon on the mount. Matthew 5, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Deal with it. Deal with that. Work on it. Pray for those who
1: persecute you
0: deal with that you got to work on that you see sometimes i think we we forget that unforgiveness is a cancer that can destroy a believer from being effective in in his use in his service for god And, and we must constantly work on forgiveness because forgiveness reverses the disappointed doubter we have to let it go And then I think maybe the most common, at least in church today, that I see people outside of church or wandering far from God, even sometimes I see them in church, but usually they're disconnected. And this is what I'm going to call this morning the moral doubter. Believing would require changes I don't want to make. I don't want to make those changes. So in order to come back home and embrace Jesus with my whole heart, I would have to make changes that I don't want to make. And so, therefore, I begin to justify those changes. That's why I can live with someone else, someone that I'm not married to. I know the Bible feels about that, but come on, really. I mean, in God's eyes, we're married. Wait, wait. You begin to hear things about sexuality in churches that begin to change their position, wandering far from the truth, and people that begin to make decisions that are so contrary to the word of God, they're moral doubters. Yea, hath God said. Did he really say it? I mean, come on, it's 2017. This is an ancient book. Give me a break. I begin to doubt God. So how does the Lord deal with a doubter? How does he do it? Let's go to the text now. Matthew, or rather John chapter 20. How does he deal with a doubter? Let's begin in verse 24. Remember this. This is very important, church. Put on your little thinking cap now. This will take total, uh, you know, if you've, if you've had any distractions, they, they, they would. you may have survived up until now, but you will not be able to from here on. So pay close attention because in John 20, we find something interesting about Thomas. It says here that he was not with them when Jesus came. Do you see it? He wasn't there. I want to begin by defending Thomas because I really feel like that he's taken a lot of criticism that's undeserving. I really believe I'm defending now the Wanderers. Can I do that for just a minute? I'm, 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 all, I'm an underdog kind of guy. I like the underdog. That's why so I'm not for the Patriots. No, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not a negative Patriot fan. They're the best team in the world with the best quarterback in history but I don't want him to win, all right? I like the underdog. So can I take up for Thomas for just a minute? Would you give me just a moment? You say, yeah, he's the doubter. He'll always be the doubter. In fact, that's kind of what... I always like to call him Thomas the doubter. Whenever I go to doubts, I say, remember Thomas, poor guy, the poor guy. I guess we've kind of forgotten about John chapter number 11, verse 16, when Thomas said this to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was willing to die for God. But in a moment, a moment of weakness, because he was not with the disciples, he missed something. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 19. Let's see what Thomas missed. Verse 19 says, Then the same day of, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, comes Jesus. He stands in the midst of them. Do you see it? And he says, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed his hands and his side. He showed it to them. They didn't even ask. He showed it to, him. and then what does it say? They were,
1: <gasps> oh my goodness! This was like he's here. Look at that! He really did.
0: They got to see something Thomas didn't get to see. Then said Jesus to them again, "Peace be unto you, as the Father sent me, even so send I." Thomas was devastated. He was disillusioned by this whole thing. Let's not be critical of wanderers. Let's not throw them under the bus. Let's not just gossip about them. And when they walk into church, please don't say, Psst, did you see who just came in? They haven't been here forever. Why can't we just From now on and I'm glad there's dancing in heaven. I'm actually getting good at it these days. I'm, just, I'm working on it. I got the waltz down. I'm, and when you get free, you preach about all kinds of stuff you used to not preach for. I mean, this is great to... Oh! So can I spend a moment and give you five ways to overcome your doubt with faith? And I'm going to take them from the passage and then we'll be done. Number one, don't miss this. Here it is. Here's the sermon. Here's the practical truth. Here it is. Faith is dead when the heart is passive. That's the wanderer's problem. That's Thomas's problem. His faith was dead. He was dead because his heart was passive. Doubt flourishes when the heart is passive. So Thomas was doubting because his faith that needed to be cultivated was not being cultivated. Why? Because he missed. Remember what it said? It was the first day of the week. What day is that? Sunday. What's... What Sunday was it? It was the first Sunday ever in the history of Sundays. It was the Sunday after the resurrection. This is Sunday one. The first Sunday in the history of Christianity. And Thomas slept in. Next week, Super Bowl Sunday. The pregame show starts early in the morning. That's a good reason to miss church. The pregame show. You see, I wonder if Thomas missed because of the pregame show. I wonder if Thomas missed because it was hunting season. I wonder if Thomas missed because he had to cook dinner for more people that Sunday. I wonder if Thomas missed because he had a little cold and wasn't feeling very well. Where was Thomas that Sunday morning? All I know is this, he was not in the place where his faith would have flourished. Where does faith flourish? Number one, it flourishes in the word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. It comes from hearing the word of God. That's why it's so important for us to be here. Have you ever said to someone, man, Jerome, you should have been there. It was awesome. Faith flourishes when we're there. Faith flourishes when we are where the word of God is. How many come on Sunday morning to have their faith lifted? Me. I don't come to go to a funeral church. If you're looking to come to a very, you know, clerical, very serious, very somber. Hey, there may be one or two of those in town. I don't know where they're located. I could find them, but it's not going to be here. We want it to be. Energetic, electrifying, exciting. We are celebrating the resurrection every Sunday. When I came out of that grave. This is not a Calvary church. This is a resurrection church. We're not serving a God who's dead in the grave. We're serving a God who came out of that grave. What about the resurrection? That's why we end every Lord's Supper with a resurrection song. We don't want you walking out of here thinking for just even a moment. That, that's where, that, that, that's the end. It all ended there. No, no, that's where it, it began at the resurrection, amen? That's when death was conquered. It's exciting. Number two, faith flourishes in friendship with people of God. When you're surrounded by doubters, doubting comes easily. When you're sitting around a bar with a bunch of folks that are hurt and angry and, 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 mad at their wives or with their husbands and they're looking for other relationships. And man, it's a whole lot easier to give in to doubt when you're hanging out with doubters. But when you're hanging out with the people of God, when you're here in the fellowship of God, in fact, Romans tells it to us like this. Our Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what my job is every Sunday morning, to stir you up. I'm to stir you up. I think that's why that raise your back coach got fired. He couldn't stir them up at halftime. <laughs> we could be up by 21, Jim, at half and lose by 21. You know what a, a good coach does? He stirs them up. That's what we need to do here. We need to leave church feeling like we're ready to handle the next trial, whatever the day has for us. I, I can't wait to get the church to be around you. I want to be stirred up by the people of God. I want the worship team to stir me up. I want something to be passionate about. And that's what Scripture teaches. Are you fellowshipping with other Christians? Are you in a small group? That's what that's all about. Stirring up one another. Number three, faith flourishes in the household of God. That's where he wasn't on the first day of the week. He he should have been. So I say to you, go to church, 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 go to church church," every week. Go to church. You've got two opportunities on Sunday morning. You can go 9 and go 1045. That's great, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe they, they would have had Saturday night service back then. Maybe Thomas would have went to Saturday night church. I don't know, but he slept in for Sunday for sure. But be in church. So let me sum it it up to you like this. It's on the screen. Here it is. Faith flourishes in a book with a group of people at a place. That's it. Faith flourishes in a book with a group of people at a place. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Listen. Hey, I've been saved for 40 years. And I'll meet people sometimes. It's nice when they say it. They'll say, Eric, I tell you what. I remember when you were 13. You were just as fired up in as you are now. You make coffee nervous. Man, I remember you were that hyper little kid. Now you're still hyper. I've been in church 40 years. I've been around the people of God for 40 years. I've been listening to preaching for 40 years. And I've been in church for 40 years. And it's really hard to wander real far when you're doing those three things. You do these three things every week. Get in the book, go to church, and hang out with good people. And you'll be in church 40 years later too. I'm telling you, it works. works. But you skip a week, skip two, get away. I'm telling you, it doesn't take the devil long. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Give him one Sunday. And he'll rob you of so much. He doesn't play fair. Number two, faith is kindled when the heart identifies the obstacle. This is very important. This might be the most important part of the whole sermon, maybe. I don't know, but maybe. Look at verse 25 of our text. This is powerful. So the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, you haven't. Isn't that kind of how it sounds? If you read it a few times, it kind of sounds like that. We have seen the Lord, we have seen the Lord, where were you? Uh, You know. Don't feel that way about wanders. Don't brag about your spirituality and you know. So where were you last Sunday, huh? so demoralizing. Just tell him you missed him. And man, you missed, we really missed you. We love you. Come on back. I'm kind of embarrassed. Oh man, our church is great. Well, don't worry about it. We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And so he said, he got honest with him. Let's, let's read that again. Faith is kindled when the heart identifies the obstacle. Here it is. Except I shall see... In his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand to his side. Guys, I'm just going to be honest. I will not believe. Sorry. I'm just shooting you straight. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I just cannot believe until I see it. He got honest with God, he got honest with his friends. He got transparent with what the problem was. And when you identify the problem, when you identify the obstacle, your faith is strengthened. I can say from first-hand experience when I was able finally to say, look, hey, I'm struggling. I'm not perfect. I, I don't have the perfect family. I don't have the perfect marriage. I, I'm not the perfect pastor. Man, everything changed for me. My faith began to flourish when I stopped performing for you. I just got real and just said, man, I have the same issues and problems that you have. And Thomas just got real. Give him a round of applause, not literally, but in your heart. This guy got real and God began to work because he was willing to admit, listen, God will go a long way in revealing himself to a person who really wants to know him. God to go a long way if you really want to know God. He'll go a long way. So sincerely, name the obstacle. What is the obstacle? Name it. What is it? Name it. Now, I'm hurt, preacher. I'm just hurt. So and so hurt me. So and so said this. All right. Well, thanks for being honest, preacher. Actually, you hurt me. You don't even know it, probably, but I've been I've been holding some bitterness against you. It's fair. I need to hear that. I'm sorry. Thanks for telling me. Let's get this thing right. You got time for a cup of coffee this week? Let's get this under the blood. I All right, questions, preacher. God took my baby, and I don't just... I've just been better than ever since. Get it out. It's okay. It's okay. God knows. God understands. Let's talk about it. Here's what Scripture says. Let's pray. It's not going to be an easy fix. It's okay. It can take a while get it out name the obstacle be sincere about it number 3 faith is sparked when the lord reveals himself at our point of need man listen you want you want to get on you want to get sparked for god you want your faith to grow watch god show up when you admit you need him so here he is right i will not believe all right let's go to verse number 26 ready? I will not believe. And after eight days, by the way, the number eight is the number of what? New beginnings. Pretty cool, huh? All right. By the way, I don't, I I, I didn't say that this morning. At nine o'clock, you only got that. (laughs) I didn't think about it. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Oh, he's there. Hey, guys, he's there. This could be it. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. Oh my, he just walked through a wall. This is cool, amen? I mean, listen, it's fixing to get good. If God walks through a wall, I promise you, it's going to be a good day. So God walks through the wall, eight days between verse 25 and 26. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace, guys. He was cool, wasn't he? I could just see Jesus. What's up? Peace, That's for some of you old fogies that don't think God's cool. He is cool, man. Peace, what's up? And then he says in verse 27, hey, Thomas. Come on, bub. Come on, come here. Right there, bud. All right. That feel good? You you okay? Put your fingers right there, Thomas. I'll keep him there a while, buddy. All you need. want to hold hands? We'll hold hands. Whatever you need, Thomas. Wow. God
1: met him there. God's going to meet you where you're at.
0: Wherever your doubt is, wherever your struggle is, God's wanting to walk through a wall and show up. And your faith is going to blow up when God shows up. Look at the next one. Faith is ignited when the heart submits to the revelation. There must be a reason why Jesus says in Scripture, don't harden your hearts." He that hardens his heart shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without what? Remedy. Don't harden your heart. Thomas did not harden his heart, so look what happened. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, verse 27, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and says, My Lord and my God. Whoa. You're awesome. There's my boy back. He's coming home. That's that worship I was looking for. That's the guy I know. That's the guy I called to be a disciple. That's the guy that would have died for me. He's back. How many of them are out there right now that need to just come back to where they were? They used to be. They, when they were on fire for God, when they were, when they thought they were called to preach, when they taught a Sunday school class, but something happened. Maybe we've thrown him under the bus, and God says, "Ah, it's okay. Listen. Just get him back in here and I walk to a wall, show up, and we'll, we'll, we'll change everything. And then number five, and I'm done. Faith is on fire when it comes before seeing. You want your faith listen, you want to get on fire for God? Then God says this. Look, Tommy, hey Tom. I'm really glad that you believe now. Fantastic. That's good. But but Thomas, I want you to know something. And look at verse 29 before you put your notes up. Jesus says to them, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is on fire when it comes before seeing. Listen, church, listen to me. We all want to get to the place where we don't have to see it to believe it. We want to get to that place where we just believe God because he's God. We just believe God because he said it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it whether I see it or not. Because sometimes God doesn't always do the miracle that we think. Sometimes God doesn't always walk through the wall. Sometimes God holds back and, and, and wants us to, to, to believe because he, he didn't perform. We just love him so much he doesn't have to do another thing for us. He doesn't have to do one more thing for me. He died on the cross for our sins. That's enough. Anything else is a bonus. So listen, that really fires God up. Trust. Trust. Hey, Wander, got some doubts? Doubting God, disillusioned, Disappointed? Come on, come home, come home, come, come home. And just know this. God's waiting to show you exactly what you need. He will will not let you down. He loves you. So Thomas, I'm not going to call you a doubter anymore. I think you're a pretty great guy. In fact, you might be one of my favorite disciples. Because sometimes I'm like you, Thomas. Sometimes I'm so screwed up. I shouldn't even pastor this church. I, I Honestly, I, sometimes I think, man, I should just do something else. These people deserve better. You say, really? Yep. You say, really? So, so you're normal. I feel that way sometimes. Yep, I do too. Oh, I just didn't know. I thought it was like Gabriel and Eric, the archangel. No, it's like Peter, Thomas, and Eric. I'm just not naked in the boat, okay? I'm not going to go that far. I'm keeping my clothes on, okay? But sometimes I go fishing, and I, I need to be somewhere else. I'm just saying to you, Thomas is not as bad as I used to think he was. And plus that, he came home. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give a short response, and we'll be done. We're on time. We're actually... we. This is our main service of the week. So we, we try to give you a full, a full tank, if you will. We don't want to cut it short. So we want to make sure you have a chance to respond. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you're here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to ask you today to come home to Jesus. He died for you. On the cross, he rose again the third day and he wants to save you. He loves you. For God so loved the world. If you'll call upon him, he'll save you today. If you're here today and you're saved, you're a Christian, but you're Thomas. You're, you've doubted some. You've got some things right now that have, that have caused you to wander away from what God's called you to do. And you feel like you're becoming somewhat of a loner and you've kind of gotten out of fellowship with people and you've you've pulled back here lately let the Holy Spirit pull you back he's pulling you back do you feel him pulling you right now he's pulling you back he's he's doing it like a gentleman he's not going to yank your arm off he's not going to push you over the line he's just going to simply say hey right here put, put your hand here see right here there you go He's coming towards you right now with His hands and His arms open wide. He's pursuing you even when you don't pursue Him because He loves you. He's calling you home today. Father, thank You so much as we sing this amazing hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is calling. Lord, I believe that may have been what Thomas heard that day. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. I pray, God, today that we would hear you whisper. Come home. Come home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together, everyone, for a
1: moment?